From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Busy week at the State House. Lots to catch up on at the State House. Uh, we're going to try to hit a few of the highlights here in the first few minutes of the podcast. But the balance of our show, uh, Devin Bodkin, our Eastern Idaho reporter, is going to join us and get us all caught up and up to speed on the ongoing investigation involving two charter schools in Blackfoot. So we'll get to that in a few minutes, but let's start with the quick run-through of what happened at the State House this week, because it was a pretty eventful week. And it started with Governor Little presenting a bill that we've been waiting on for a long time, and you were there, Clark. Yeah, I would say, actually, of all the bills that have actually been introduced this year, this is the big one so far. Uh, for education. And this is Brad Little's bill to raise minimum teacher salaries in the state of Idaho up to $40,000. He kicked off his State of the State speech uh, last month talking about this. This is kind of one of the cornerstones of his education policy. But Kevin, as we noticed, uh, Governor Little has changed his it proposal looks a, little a little bit. different than we expected and a little bit different than what the governor talked about just in January. Right. Over the last five weeks, things have changed. This is kind of the skinny teacher raises bill um, (laughs) because Governor Little now wants to spread the teacher raises out over the upcoming two years. He originally wanted to do it all next year uh, to ask for about $11.4 million this year to do it in one fell swoop, bring minimum teacher salaries up to $40,000 as well as the uh, beginning salaries for the second and third year teachers on the career ladder. But there's these continuing concerns, and we'll get to that just a little bit Mm -hmm. more in detail, but continuing concerns about state revenues, about the overall budget picture, and specifically tax withholdings. And so, in order to have a little bit lighter touch and a little bit uh, less of an impact on the state general fund, Governor Little wants to spread it out over two years. The cost to this upcoming year's budget, down from $11.4 million to $3.8 million. And so that's a much, much... Smaller bite uh, at it. And it feels consistent with what is becoming the watchword of this legislative session, and that's caution. I think there's a lot of nervousness about the cash flow right now. And the numbers continue to come in, and they continue to come in soft and well below projections. I mean, just last week, tax collections for January were down 21.9%. From projections. And the big driver, we've talked about this before, is individual income tax collections are well low compared to where they were expected to be. So right now it's it's $128 million uh, where collections are short of projections. That's a lot of money. And what we're seeing right now from the governor, from the budget committee, is a lot of concern about what's happening with these uh, with these tax collections, what's happening with the individual collections? Is it a blip that's going to be taken care of as Idahoans turn in their tax forms and wind up maybe paying more than they expected in April and the money starts to roll in after April? Either way, that's too late really for setting a budget right right now. So I think you've got a lot of concern. So, you know, what you saw a little do with with the teacher pay bill is utterly consistent with what we're seeing and hearing at the state house a lot right now about anything revenue related. And it may be an indication that Superintendent Ybarra's 
competing proposal to raise higher end salaries for more experienced teachers. I think that carried something like a $28 million price tag. That may be dead if we're scaling down what was a smaller request for teacher raises anyways. And we've seen really no movement from Ibarra. It would require her, a bill. Uh, on her idea. And yeah, there's been no bill and Come Monday, the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee is going to start to make some budget recommendations anyway. So I, I would say that the prospects on that idea are pretty pretty dim at this point. And when she, when Superintendent Ybarra went over her legislative agenda at uh, the State Board of Education meeting this week on Wednesday and Thursday, uh, no mention of a bill to raise salaries coming out of her office. She did talk about some of her other legislative initiatives, no mention of the salary piece, and so I don't know. That may well be dead for this year. We'll see real quickly uh, before we get on to um, a closer look at the budget, I just want to talk about what Brad Little's, Governor yes. Little's bill would do for salaries. Next year for the 2019-2020 school year, minimum salaries would rise to $38,500. The following year, 2021, it would raise to $40,000. Um, so two-year plan to implement it. A little bit more cautious, conservative approach, a little bit lighter touch than he outlined just five weeks ago. But as you mentioned, on Monday, the budget picture will become a little bit more clear. Tell us why and tell us uh, what the outlook is, Kevin. Yeah, Monday's a big day at the legislature. Uh, Joint Finance Appropriations Committee will meet and start to write and write the first version, basically, of the public school budgets. And I say first version because there may be new wrinkles, there may be uh, follow-up uh, spending bills that, that come later in the oh, session. Trailer bills. The trailer bill. Which, Everybody's favorite time of year. Which, which has nothing to do with double wides, but it, the trailer appropriation bill, which I can explain why we may see at least one of those later. The K-12 budget is going to take shape to a large degree on Monday. And a couple things really to watch for, and I tried to do a breakdown of what some of the decision points are uh, facing the budget committee. So if you go to adnews.org, you can see a lot more of that in a lot more detail. Two things we'll get some answers about on Monday. Literacy. Governor Little, this is another one of Little's big priorities for uh, this first budget of his. And this is the doubling of the literacy budget from 13 million to 26 million to put more money into helping at-risk at readers uh, allow schools to try all-day kindergarten, hire some reading coaches, you name it. That is a big request that's on JFAC's plate. We'll get a better sense of where the budget committee is. Uh, we've had some legislators, key legislators like uh, Dean Mortimer, the, the chairman of the Senate Education Committee, saying, you know, we really don't have a lot of research we don't have a lot of data about what we've seen with the literacy initiative so far, with the $13 million a year that we're spending you know, this year. Um, so we'll see what the Budget Committee does with that. But you know, pretty clear from the state of the state, you know, this is an issue that Little is, is serious about. That's one thing. Yep. We'll get some answers about another issue uh, that has to do with uh, teacher benefits, uh, you know, the rising cost of insurance for teachers and staff and that whole issue of discretionary funding or operational funding, which we've, we've talked about on this show past years. Governor Little did not include this in the budget, but when I spoke to uh, Wendy Horman, state representative, member of JFAC, uh, kind of the, the key budget writer on education bills in, in JFAC, 
Uh, she said, you know, this isn't negotiable in her view, that you need to put some money into this because, you know, districts are facing increasing costs on, on benefits. Uh, that is a fixed cost and a rising cost and, and not something that you can avoid. So you need to put some more money into that. I think uh, she would like to see some more money in operational uh, spending for the schools so that it, it will cover inflation and it will cover uh, you know, increased number of students, increased number of classrooms, support units in the, in the vernacular. So you will see if that is funded. And that's something, like I say, that was not in the governor's budget proposal. It wasn't Superintendent yep. Ibarra's proposal. So those are two areas that I expect we will see some closure out of this committee on Monday. We'll get some answers as far as what happens in the bills that will then go before the, the House and the Senate for, for passage. You won't get an answer really on the teacher salary issue. They're not going to move on Governor Little's $40,000 salary bill or any kind of proposal from Ibarra because that bill hasn't moved through the committees yet. So they'll hold off and that's where you may see a trailer appropriations bill. If, if let's say the governor's $40,000 minimum salary bill starts to move through the legislature, then JFAC will come back and run another appropriations bill to fund it. So no answers there on Monday. No answers either on mastery, which has been a big priority of Ibarra's to try to expand the mastery education program. She's got a bill to lift that cap, but that bill hasn't really moved through the legislature yet. So no answers on mastery come Monday. So we'll get some answers. We'll be waiting on other answers, but still, either way, pretty important day come Monday. Yeah, we'll be there. Uh, full coverage at Idaho Ed News uh, by early Monday afternoon for yep. sure to let you know what's all the latest. And then we'll continue to follow uh, the legislation, especially the legislation with budget uh, impacts as the session moves forward. And that's where we may see some of those trailer bills and that's where we may see... Uh, some of the funding picture and some of the policy picture come together a little bit later in the session. Do believe, though, we have reached the halfway point of the session uh, for a couple of different reasons. The first half pages went home. We're moving from budget hearings to budget setting. And Superintendent Ibarra announced that her post-legislative tour begins the first week of April. So all the signs are there that we're turning the corner. And we had Pi Day. Yes. The, the homeschool families and, and, and you know, took over the fourth floor of the rotunda on Wednesday. They gave out free pie to legislators and, you know, got, you know, full disclosure reporters as well. Well, one of the factors with being an investigative reporter, Kevin, is you have to investigate the pie to see how it tastes and see if it's up to... Uh... And, and there's actually a Twitter kerfuffle right. about there the is quality this... of the pies. But we, we will, we, but we digress. But anyway, the legislative session can roughly be divided between pre-Pi Day and post-Pi Day. So yes, we, we have turned the corner. Eventful week at the State House. More eventful stuff coming up next week. Catch up with what happened this week at ednews.org and keep reading us next week. We'll keep you posted on the legislature. But let's shift gears because this is a, a big story that we've been pursuing, that Devin Bodkin has been pursuing uh, with the help of Randy Schrader, our, our data analyst over the past few weeks. Financial issues, financial questions surrounding two charter schools. Devin is in town this week, uh, so we wanted to get him on the podcast to sort of bring us all up to date on this story. What we know, what we're trying to find out. Devin, welcome. Thanks. It's good to be here. <laughs> so start us off with sort of the story 101. You know, walk us through, walk listeners through 
where, how we got to this point? What's at issue with these two charter schools? What charter schools are we talking about? And what are some of the financial questions that have arisen? Well, the issues are financial allegations that were brought to the Public Charter Commission about uh, financial mismanagement and some other allegations at these two schools. But they're both located in Blackfoot, which is in East Idaho, right in between Idaho Falls and Pocatello. Mm -hmm. And they're public schools. These are charter schools, um, but they receive public funds um, based on average daily attendance, just like any other you know school district uh, does. But yeah, in in and recent it's like four point two million between the two. Yes, roughly. yeah, the two schools: Blackfoot Charter Community Learning Center, which is a, a, an elementary and middle school, and then Bingham Academy, which is a high school. And they together serve about seven hundred fifty kids, and their budgets together about yeah four point three million dollars. So not a small couple of schools when we're talking about 750 No, kids. we're we're talking about a lot of taxpayer uh, dollars here. And so that, I think that's one of the reasons that uh, we've wanted to know what's happening out there and what uh, why the Charter Commission wants to know what's going on. So what are our big questions that we've pursued on the on the financials? And what are the big questions that the Charter Commission is pursuing? Some of the same that we've, we've learned. Um, but we'll start with the Charter Commission. Yeah. They, for months now, they've been investigating the schools, and that includes uh, requesting a number of documents from the schools and a, a visit from the charter director, Tamara Basinger, who went there last week for a three-day visit. Um, we don't know what they've got and what they haven't got, but we do know that since her visit, uh, she's, she's communicated back to the schools a number of changes that need to happen, mostly, uh, well, centered on all the financials at the schools. Mm -hmm. And it's a wide range of changes from uh, eliminating the financials, any, any financials between the schools, for example, one school paying the other school's bills, that, that all has to stop. That's one of the things she's outlined. She's at, from everything from that to uh, no more charge accounts at a local grocery store. Mm -hmm. You've been following this now for a couple of months. You've written a lot of stories about what you've found along the way. What are the most significant findings that, that you've come across in the past two months uh, regarding the finances? Well, one of the most interesting things, Kevin, is the a forensic audit that's mm -hmm. going to happen at the schools. Tamara uh, Basinger communicated some of the conditions for the schools, but she also said that there's going to be a forensic audit. And we talked to Karen Echevarria at the Idaho School Boards Association, and she said that that's very rare mm -hmm. for a school or a, a, char a school district or a charter school to have happen. And it's basically. And let's backtrack and explain to listeners the difference between a forensic audit right. and a routine yes. audit. Yes. Because forensic audit, we're not doing DNA, we're not, you know, yeah. blood swabs or anything like that. But, it, but it's a serious thing and, and much more aggressive investigation. Yeah, a very detailed look at financials at the school. Uh, and it, it, they can range in their depth and the time frame that they look at. But the idea is to look very closely at what's happened. Schools are audited. Districts are audited. But those often include just a sample that, that an auditor will take and go back and then they'll look at the sample of financials and then they'll make a larger determination on how the school handles its finances. A forensic audit is much deeper than that. They'll, they'll go from a spot check to a complete check. Right, or, or a complete check of the areas where there are concerns um, at the schools. So your findings so far, it's covered everything from purchase of modular buildings to, um, you know, to even really small items that, right. that we're, we're, we're trying to get explanations about. You know, you know, walk us through 
what you found. So at the same time the Charter Commission was receiving cons uh, basically allegations um, that the school had mishandled finances, we were receiving uh, the same news tips, essentially, that the, the same news tips that the commission was receiving. And so we started by just requesting a year's worth of financials from the school. We wanted to look at bank statements and we wanted to look at canceled checks. And when we got those back, really how this all started was a large number of payments, uh, 46, oh, around $46,000 mm -hmm. that had been paid to the head administrator of, this, of both schools, Fred Ball, and uh, about uh, he almost forty thousand had been paid to him, and then some paid to the business manager of the schools. His name's Randy Ruger, right. and we saw these and we thought, well, that's a lot of taxpayer money. Can we see receipts for what these mm -hmm. were for? Because many of the checks that had been issued to these guys didn't have. There was no clarification of what they were for. We had one large check, which we'll talk about in a moment, for over twenty-two thousand mm -hmm. dollars that had been out made out to Mr. Ball. Um, but most of these things, we had no idea what, we, what these were for. So we started requesting um, receipts and other documents to show why these guys were receiving so many payouts from the schools. Mm -hmm. And not all of the transactions have been fully explained, and not all of the transactions as explained really check out. I mean, you know, and it gets to the, the modulars right. as an uh, example. Folks should go back and read the stories uh, to get a really good sense of the documents that we have received from the schools. But you're correct, Kevin. We, we've received some receipts, but not uh, enough to add up even close to what the men have been paid out for. We've received other documents that weren't receipts. We received an invoice from the administrator to the school, uh, which really didn't tell us anything based on what whether or not a, an actual purchase was made and we received even a, uh, an, uh, an estimate from Lowe's Home Improvement Store which was not a receipt mm -hmm. for several hundred dollars and so folks can go back and look at those stories to get a really good idea of what we have received and what we haven't received because that's kind of complicated but one of the things that we really focused in on was what Fred Ball had told me over the phone which was that the $22,000 payout that he received uh, from the school was for his purchase of two modular units, right. uh, classroom units from Salt Lake yeah. Community College. Mm -hmm. And he told me that uh, he bought those sometime, I think around 2014, and that uh, it was $16,000 for both of them, and that he resold those to the school for what he had into them. And based on that conversation, I thought, well, if we can't get the documents from the schools, the, the, uh, the bills of sale from the schools to Ms from Mr. Ball to the schools, we can call Salt Lake Community College. Sure. And so we did it. And they basically did a, what they called a thorough search and said, we haven't found anything between uh, Mr. Ball and our school. But we did find that Bingham Academy, the high school, had purchased at least one unit from us around that time. And it was not close to $16,000. The, the, the total payout for that for whatever was purchased there, at least one modular unit and some other things, was three, over $3,000, right. just over $3,000. Right. So where does this go from here? So the, the Charter Commission met this week, mm -hmm. and not a lot of discussion about this issue, but it sounds like March 1st, they will meet again. Right. So let's talk for just a second about the Charter Commission. It's the largest authorizer of charter mm -hmm. schools in yes. Idaho. They authorize around 75% of these schools throughout the state, including these two schools that we're talking about. And so 
We've also learned, um, aside from Tamara Basinger's letters to the schools, that in January, the Attorney General's office issued a letter to the schools, which outlined many of the same renewal conditions, or in other words, things the school has to do if it wants to keep operating. It outlined many of the same conditions that Tamara had outlined in her letters. Um, but it also talked about the process for renewal. One of those schools, uh, Blackfoot, Blackfoot Charter Community Learning Center, is up for renewal next month, mm -hmm. March 1st, actually. And so the commission has a board of seven people who the fate of those schools rests in their hands. They can either renew schools, they cannot renew schools, or they can renew the schools based on the conditions that the Idaho Attorney General's Office outlined for that school, okay? So for one of those schools, Blackfoot, the elementary school, uh, we're going to be watching this closely. Come March 1st, that board of seven people will meet to determine whether or not the school will, the charter will be renewed. Um, and if it is, what they have to do to continue operating. Mm -hmm. So that's something we're going to be watching very closely. However, Tamara's conditions for this, she sent conditions to both schools. So there are things that both schools need to be doing right now uh, to improve their finances. And we'll be watching that closely, and we'll be also watching the, the results of this forensic audit. I mean, we talked to an expert yesterday who said these, these can range. Depending on what the firm who hires them wants them to look at, it can be weeks or months, and it can be, I've heard estimates up to fifty dollars to $60,000 for these kinds of audits to happen. But, but there will be a report, and that, will, that report will be sent to the commission, and we will be watching closely what is ultimately found. So at this point, what the commission is looking at is mostly financials. And there have been right. other issues that have come up where the commission has uh, more or less exonerated the schools. Right, yeah. And we should, uh, we should update folks on that. So Tamara's letters uh, with the renewal conditions largely focused around financials. Also uh, updated Bingham, the high school, on past allegations of sexual mishandling of sexual misconduct allegations. Mm -hmm. So it, based on her findings, she told the school that these were that she found no evidence that that happened. And she reiterated that she hasn't been able to see every document that she's requested from the school. But based on what she has seen, yes, the school has not, that, that those allegations are, I think she said, unfounded at this mm -hmm. point. And then also some concerns about the buildings. This we know uh, we, this is a whole other issue. But charter schools often they don't they can't bond for infrastructure like a traditional school district. So sometimes they they wind up in uh, unorthodox places, unorthodox buildings, and including this school, they they operate Bingham Academy operates in an old movie theater in in that small town of Blackfoot. And uh, there were concerns brought to the commission's attention at one point. Apparently that that uh, the buildings weren't up to code for a school. But uh, she also checked into those things. And, uh, the this, and is a, this is a concern that the yeah. Idaho Office of School Safety and Security has raised numerous times. Uh, when new charter schools operate, they should be consulting with the Idaho Office of School Safety and Security to make sure it's uh, zoned or rated uh, for an education institution. Uh, that uh, All kinds of considerations from the parking lot to egress and, and exits for uh, school buses and for parents and neighboring businesses and the kind of folks that would be uh, sharing the property. And so that's a concern that we've heard over and over again, not specifically related to either of the Blackfoot charter schools, uh, but charter schools in general across a, a, a the state. A larger issue on school safety yeah. that we've heard, heard before. Kind of to wrap up maybe a little bit, Devin, I mean, you, 
you live in the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you write about you know, traditional public schools and, and, right. tr- and public charter schools in that area. What's been the reaction in the community? I mean, you, you're hearing from some of the folks that the commission has been hearing from, but what's been kind of the general reaction that you hear from from readers and from the community as the story's been I unfolding? think at this point, people just want to know what's happening at the schools. Uh, and, I mean, they, they vary. Some people are seem to be angry because these are public funds. And when we're talking about public funds in, in any agency, even if it's a little amount, people can be very sensitive about that because it's tax dollars. Yeah, And so I think overall, people just want to know what's happening um, in the schools and, and we'll keep them up to date in that. But there's also support for the schools. I mean, the school choice in Idaho is a big, a big issue. Mm-hmm. And so um, when this happens, we want to be careful that folks don't see this as an attack on that. Uh, we, we scrutinize funds in, in traditional school districts just as we do in charter schools. Mm-hmm. And so, but there has been that reaction too, Kevin, that, that uh, people are very uh, uh, emotional about school choice. And they, some people do see this as an attack and, on And are that. emotional about their, yep. their choice of school in this case. Exactly. I mean, and, and because, you know, the financial issues are, are serious and, and Watchdogging financials is a big part of what we do, right? But watchdogging student achievement and student performance is something that, right. that we do too. And and you know a story like this that focuses so much on financials, you know, you, you lose you you maybe lose sight, and we don't really talk much about you know the student achievement one way or the other in a school like this. And that's really you know the bottom line, you know, as far as families and kids are concerned, right? Yeah, I bet that's been our, our, our track record in terms of we do accountability-based journalism, right, Kevin? That's been something that kind of one of our founding principles. We scrutinize adherence to open meeting law. We scrutinize transparency, student achievement, and, and financials. And we have a track record throughout our six-year history of, of looking at that uh, in the public school venue, at the higher education venue, uh, and certainly at the charter school uh, venue. And it, and, and it doesn't matter. It's, it's the public interest. It's the amount of taxpayer dollars that are involved in the fact that we're talking about, at the end of the day, our children's education. And that's why uh, we do that. But we have a track record of doing that, not just with that school, not just in that region of Idaho, uh, but wherever we see concerns raised. Right. I mean, you know, and, and again, I mean, I think it's, it's been an important topic for, for you, Devin, to be following so closely because, obviously, it's an issue that the commission is following closely. I mean, this isn't just something that you know, we, we're We've gone rogue and decided right. to, to single here. out these right. two two schools because you know the Charter Commission, which has far-reaching authority. I mean, they look not just at financials, but they do look at things like student achievement. They do look at things such as you know the, the demographics of charter schools. I mean, those are things that you know I've heard Tamara Basinger talk about and you know do reports about. So they have far-reaching authority. So for them to to focus this much attention on these two schools and their financials is in itself significant. Sure. Well, Devin, thanks so much uh, for keeping us up to date on the story. As you suggested, it would be a good uh, tip for our listeners to head over to the homepage at idahoednews.org. Use the little magnifying glass uh, search function at the top of our page and and search for your stories about the um, situations with the two Bingham charter schools. Several articles over the past month or so, and you continue to follow them. And idahoednews.org will be the place 
to find all your stories going forward, specifically around uh, that March 1st time frame when, when uh, uh, the commission will be reviewing um, their charter and making decisions about going forward. Um, so thank you so much. It's one yeah, of the most important stories uh, in Idaho education, and I know you and Randy put a lot of work into it uh, and have relied on a lot of documents, and it has been document-driven. Um, and, and so that's an important fact uh, to the reporting for sure. So, so thank you, Devin. Thank, thank you. you. We'll have some pie now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there may still be some of them around. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that uh, covers just about everything that I wanted to get to. Just a reminder that on Monday, the school budget will be coming together. We do have a couple big bills out there. Uh, we do think that the school funding formula bill that we've talked about last week and in weeks before. Seemingly every week preceding this uh, week. Could be introduced yeah. uh, in the coming uh, days or weeks. And, and, and why not if we're coming into the back half of the legislative session? Um, it's getting to be now or never or pretty close to now or never on that bill because it is so complicated. So far-reaching, yeah. potentially so controversial. So we'll be on uh, school funding formula bill vigil all week next week. All right, Kevin, get some rest this weekend. We'll be starting bright and early on Monday, and it will be uh, a busy week. But thanks so much for joining us as we break down this often complicated intersection of education politics and education policy. We have a lot of fun on the Extra Credit Podcast. If you want more of our top stories, you can give us a follow on Twitter at Idaho Ed News. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another new edition of Extra Credit. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.